Well, this morning, friends, we are so excited. Today we have with us Reverend Don Taloyo. You may have heard us talk about our mental health summit that's coming up this Tuesday. Don is leading this uh, for us, Pastor Don. And so we're grateful that she is here this morning as well to bring today's message. Uh, Don serves as the Associate Superintendent of the Pacific Northwest Conference. She's been in this role for seven years, leading and guiding us throughout the Pacific Northwest. So please welcome Reverend Don Taloyo. Oh, thank you. Good morning, Mission Friends. Anyone know that term, mission friends? Got a few of you. Speaking of what Pastor Kyle said, or on the shoulders of others, mission friends used to be the name of the Evangelical Covenant Church denomination before they changed the name. So mission friends was our early name. And I just love to remind us of that, that we are on mission together as friends um, in Christ. So it's good to be with you. And I'm grateful for the opportunity. I feel a little pressure now that they said that I'm coming back Tuesday. It really means I better knock it out of the park today. Otherwise, I won't see you again. (laughs) Um, I live in Salem, Oregon, and so that may be why you haven't seen me. I've been here many times, but I may be new to you because primarily my role is kind of behind the scenes, and I, I serve to support and consult with churches, church leadership teams, with pastors, and so I've actually never been here on a Sunday morning, and so I'm thrilled to finally have that chance. Um, but I I know and respect your uh, your pastoral team so much, and both past and present, I know them all, and um, just love them all as colleagues. So it is challenging to kind of just show up on a Sunday at a church in my role and not have been a part of your story and um, know how to bring a relevant message to to your community. So what I do is I just I rely on what the Spirit's doing in my life and taking a message or scripture that's really been meaningful to me and trusting that the message that has been impacting me may the Spirit might use that um, likewise uh, to encourage you. So I hope to bring a message today of of hope, of encouragement, much like the Apostle Paul does in the openings to many of his letters, a word of hope that will help center us and draw us near to God, to remind us of what is true and beautiful about our relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So today I am choosing words of Paul, the words that he uses to introduce or to greet the Ephesians um, in that letter. Uh, this is a passage that I recently have been marinating in and appreciating just how grounding it is, how centering and orienting it is for me. And, you know, but the letter itself is a letter to churches broadly. In fact, if you read some of the commentary, N.T. Wright, for instance, says in his introduction that, you know, the earliest manuscripts didn't say that it was addressed to Ephesus. It didn't have that name. We've put that name later, or tradition has put that name there. But it was a letter, most likely, that circulated among churches. And so it was meant for all believers, all churches at all times. So let me begin by reading the text that we're going to be focusing on. If you have a Bible, feel free to bring, pull it out. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 3 to 14. And here Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Give thanks to God. Okay, that was a lot. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time with Paul. I mean, some of his letters are just so full, so thick, right? With those theological phrases and verbiage. It feels sort of abstract. It's both beautiful, but sometimes hard to follow. So as I was invited recently to meditate on this particular text, it started, though, to come alive to me. Certain phrases were kind of jumping out to me and calling my attention. And the whole text, just in its in its wholeness, just kind of like grabbed me, kind of became this shawl or this protective coat that I could just feel the warmth of. Because it's all there in those verses. Who the triune God is. What God has done for his beloved. Who I am in God and for what purpose. I find it to be kind of like this orienting treatise that sums up our relationship to, with, and in Christ. Now having said that, I really struggle to offer you or find some perfect outline of what Paul is saying. I can't find this clear, linear um, logic to the sentences. So I thought I'd take you behind the curtain a little bit to be able to see my attempts with Paul's word, trying to tease out what is it that is going on here. So the first slide I want you to see is my manuscript. This is my favorite way of how to work with a text. I get out my colored pencils, try and make the connections. What are the repeated words and phrases? Another thing is the bubble map. That's the second, the next slide. Then I'm like, okay, trying to tie in. What are those themes? Where do I see those connecting? Then I tried to make some lists, see if that helped. What were the lists that kind of I could draw out? And then finally I was trying to come up with a flow <laughs> and figure out what was going on. So lots of ways that I'm trying to work at this text. And I found a lot of helpful, impactful points. But um, And as I began to categorize, 
categorize some of them, some phrases started to pop out and make sense to me. And it all kind of centered in on verse 3. So we're really going to focus on verse 3. That's Paul's first line here in this um, section. And it seemed to summarize or articulate much of what I was impressed by, kind of provided this organizing principle, so to speak. So I'm going to use that as the jumping point to help guide some observations for you this morning. And my hope is that as you kind of marinate in the text with me, there might be a phrase or an image that grabs your attention too, that helps connect with your spirit this morning and where you are at this point. So feel that invitation to kind of just land with something from the text this morning and just let that sit and ruminate on. So let's read together verse 3. If you don't mind, read aloud with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Thank you. So, with no particular order, let me begin with the phrase that has really stood out to me in this. Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing, because that is a bold, all-encompassing statement. Sit with that. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I don't even know for sure what that means. I don't always feel that way, but according to God's generous economy and vantage point, from heaven's perspective, I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We all have. So after that first sentence, the next verse begins, for he chose us. And that for is a connecting word that indicates the explanation is coming. And so I took that as an invitation to look at the rest of the text to help give me a clue about what are those every spiritual blessings. And I started to make that list, the list um, related to us humans. And here we go. This is the amazing list. We are chosen, blessed. Loved, holy and blameless, destined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, chosen, which is repeated, destined, repeated also, saved, marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, and guaranteed an inheritance. All of that comes from these few verses. Every spiritual blessing. That All of these things are included in what it means. Anything and everything that can be given to those who now call God their father through faith in Jesus Christ has this incredible inheritance available to them. And it is a done deal, sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be taken away. This is our reality. This is our identity that we all share. The beloved of God. So take a moment. Look at that list. What word or descriptor connects with you today? What do you often need to hear or be reminded of? Maybe like me, you're just impacted by the breadth of the list as a whole. This is who we are, friends. So back to our verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you didn't pick up on it, there's a lot of familial language in these verses. 
The descriptors that Paul gave that I just pulled out in that list lean heavily on language of family, of having been adopted, loved, heirs with an inheritance. And that connects with another organizing principle of this passage, according to my study, and that is how God the Father is described. So verse 3 again begins with that phrase, praise be, and then verse 4, Paul writes, for he pointing to the Father, the Father being the central figure or driving force behind what comes next. And here's the list of how Paul describes the Father. The Father, in love, destined us for adoption, according to his pleasure and will that he has freely given, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us, with all wisdom and understanding, according to his good pleasure, according to the plan of him who works out everything. He's over all of it. The father had a plan. It was all according to his good pleasure, lavishing these things. These are the descriptors of a perfect parent. Now, I have a great father. I have no complaints. I've been pretty lucky, and I, but I know a lot of people who, for whom that's not the case and have struggled. But this is the description of a heavenly, perfect father. It is his good pleasure to give us every spiritual blessing. And he gave it freely, in love, thoughtfully, not fragrant, flagrantly. It was intentional, generous, lavish. All according to his purpose and plan. Do you get the sense of that? The father knows what he is doing. And he does it out of love and in love for all of us. It was his pleasure to give us that whole list of spiritual blessings. He gave it freely. Again, what word or phrase jumps out to you about that? What description of God do you connect with? Or maybe struggle to connect with? I'm so impressed by these descriptions that Paul uses, the experience he has in his relationship with the Father, because he knows the Father to be generous, extravagant, and lavish in love and his gifts. Don't we all long for that kind of parent? As I sat with this, I was um, reminded of the story of the prodigal son. I'm very image-oriented, and so the image that I most connect with is the Rembrandt painting. If you're familiar with Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal, he highlights this, and it's forever been uh, important to me. I carry a bookmark of it in my Bible. Um, but that's the text. That's the image that seems to match for me with Ephesians chapter 1. All that Paul experienced and expresses here is what Jesus describes in that parable. A story of a father's embrace and reception of a son who rejected the father. And you recall that the son, you know, carelessly, selfishly, you know, splurged and spent the whole inheritance that he had been given only to find himself desperate enough to return and beg to come back as a servant. And yet the father, with no condemnation, rejoices at the return of the son and extends grace 
and love and pleasure and extravagance, right? Giving him the ring and the coat and an extravagant party. It's all there, this image, the story that can stand alongside Ephesians chapter 1. Chosen, forgiven, blessed, every spiritual blessing by his good pleasure lavished upon us. And Paul says this is for us too. Verse 13 says, and you also were included in Christ. He wants it to be clear. There wasn't just meant for the disciples or the apostles or certain leaders, but all the churches, all the believers. It's a story of adoption and extravagant love, and that is true for all who find themselves in Christ. For all who felt lost, untethered, and who returned to the Father. So that brings me to another observation from verse 3. Again, our text. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So now I'm going to get even more nitpicky and 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 focus in on this little phrase, in Christ. And you can decide how important this is, but I think it's interesting. Because it's often an overlooked phrase. We read it all the time. And it's actually, men, Paul uses it here in these verses 12 times. In addition to, um, he also uses through Christ and under Christ. But that in Christ, he uses 12 times. And it jumps out because of something I read a few years ago Um that really kind of changed my awareness and maybe perception of this relationship with Christ. It kind of reframed things for me. And that was a book by Pastor Daniel Hill. Um, and um, I didn't write the name of the book down. But he quotes in the book um, Professor Klein Snodgrass, who's a retired New Testament scholar from North Park Seminary, which is our covenant seminary in Chicago. So he's quoting uh, Dr. Snodgrass, and he says, In his studies of the Apostle Paul, he has found that there are at least five places where the language of Christ in us, or in me, is used. But there's an imbalance, he says, because when the Apostle Paul wrote about the nature of the Christian faith, he most frequently noted how we are to be in Christ a phrase used an astonishingly 164 times. If we're told that Christ can come in us five times, but we are told to be in Christ 164 times, where should the emphasis fall? To draw out this contrast, Nodgrass says, if Christ is only in you, then how big is Christ? Not very big, and you can tuck him away when you don't need him. But if you and all other human beings are in Christ, as well as all of creation, then how big is Christ? He goes on to conclude, if our view is expanded to see faith as fundamentally about being in Christ, our framework changes. And I felt like that is true for me. I love this reframe. It made me feel, it may just be like this small preposition detail, but it was such a corrective to my image, my way of thinking. It expanded my perspective and image of life with and in Christ because I am bound up 
in Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father, and who has given us the promised Holy Spirit, as we just heard, as a seal of our relationship and future inheritance. I am chosen and adopted into this holy family. And Christ is big. And it's a whole different orientation to realize I am in this holy family. So adoption. I happen to know a little bit about adoption. My two kids are adopted. Both of them from the Philippines. They're about five years apart. They're not um, biological siblings. Now they're 22 and 17. But um, my husband and I, we chose to adopt. But we could easily say, I mean, God totally orchestrated it. Ask anyone who knows me, my husband, our kids, and they're like, how is this not possible that... Um, they aren't biological or that God didn't wasn't a part of this. But it's kind of cool because I feel like we have this front row seat observing that question of nature versus nurture and how that plays out in our family. They don't share our DNA, but they're so much like us and not like us at the same time. And actually, I think that's probably true of all parents and their kids. <laughs> I hear that all the time. So, but like my, I could go on and on about my kids and how we saw God orchestrate this match. But connected to our text, I want to draw out one particular thing. Um, you may have heard about attachment theory. It's a theory about relationships with the most important tenet being that young children need to develop a healthy relationship with at least one primary caregiver in order for normal social and emotional development. This theory was formulated by a psychiatrist um, and psychoanalyst, John Bowlby. I won't go into all the details of the theory, but basically it describes what a secure attachment style is versus an insecure attachment style. An insecure attachment style has three subtypes, and I just tried to give you a little uh, summary up there. But in general... A secure attachment is clearly the hope and goal. It leads to healthy functioning, the ability to attune and manage one's own emotions, a healthy view of self and others, ability to recognize one's own wants and needs. A secure attachment means you are able to grow healthy, trusting relationships. Insecure attachments are obviously the opposite. Without that initial secure attachment to a parent or caregiver, especially we're talking about in that first zero to two years of age, the result is varying levels of insecurity, anxiety, or fear in relationships. Signs of greater neediness and dependence may be exhibited or avoidance or ultra-independence, just to name some examples. The point, back to my kids. We know their stories. One of my kids was in an orphanage the first year of life. The other was in a foster family for the first 15 months. Did we see a difference? Absolutely. Do we still see a difference? Absolutely. We still see it play out. Varying levels of early attachment play out, and we have this awesome responsibility, (laughs) God-given hopeful ability to hold and love them as they work that out. Why do I bring this up? Because as I look at Ephesians chapter 1 through the lens of adoption and attachment, through the familial language that is there, I see, I see Paul using those words and I can make those connections. 
the descriptions given to our Heavenly Father that were listed, that every spiritual blessing available to us includes that we are chosen, we are adopted, loved into this holy family, loved by the Father in Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is where we, we belong, where we find belonging. And it's the ultimate picture of secure attachment. It is the ultimate picture of a secure attachment that is offered to all of us who are in Christ. What an amazing gift. That is an amazing thing given to all of us. I mean, no doubt you did not have the perfect family growing up. And we are all somewhere on that continuum of secure, insecure attachment. All of us. And we struggle with varying degrees to believe that we are loved, secure, able to experience healthy, interdependent relationships. It's all, we're all works in progress. And maybe as a parent or a grandparent, you're watching your kids or your grandkids wrestle with identity and relationships, both within and outside the family. And we do the best we can to offer them that safe, secure home base where they get to work it out. Because that's our job. But we're not perfect at it either. But the good news offered to all of us through Christ is that a secure attachment, to use that language, a secure attachment of the ultimate kind is available to us. And it is that secure attachment, in that secure attachment, that we find transformation and healing where we have a home base, a home base in the holy family as beautifully described here by Paul, where there's every spiritual blessing gifted to us, a gift that we and this world needs. Can you imagine the difference if everyone in this world knew and experienced this secure attachment with God? What a difference that would make in our world. So as I close, let's just take one more look at that list of descriptions pulled from the text. This is how we are described. This is what it looks like to have a home base, secure attachment in God. Just take a moment to look again. In a world that tells us otherwise, where we may doubt, feel challenged, where things feel disorienting all around us. This is true. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Allow me to pray for us. Holy God, thank you, thank you, thank you for these words that center us, that remind us who we are in you, Lord, I pray that there might be a word here that hits home for each of us. That is the word that we need to hear today and be reminded of. Of how you look upon us. How you gaze upon us with your love. That you receive us as we are. And you see our hearts, our desire. That even when... 
we make mistakes or we find ourselves struggling or doubting, you know, you know who we are. You know the true trueness of our hearts and you see us and your grace is enough, more than enough. Oh Lord, may we lean in once again to these words, to the hope that you offer us, the loving family that you offer us. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.